as you may be kind of able to tell, uh, we're shifting gears a little bit as we journey through the book of Ephesians. As a church, we've been going through this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that way back then was struggling with things that we're still struggling with right now. And as he's writing to them, he starts out by, by diving into who they are in Christ, by helping them understand what's been done for them and then who they are because of that. And that's all in chapter one. And then around chapter two, he begins to take the focus off what's been done in Christ and who they are because of that. And then he begins to say, let's look over the hill and let's see who we are together because of what's been done for us as individuals. And he's beginning to make this and it's, it's a huge conversation that if we can lean into and leverage as a way the church in Ephesus did, I think it can bring unity to the church. And now more than ever is a time where unity is in dire need for the church in our country. We're at times, it seems like we're more divided than ever. And the thing that I know Satan uh, is not afraid of, he is not afraid of a very large church. He's not afraid of a church that has all of its debts paid off. He's not afraid of a church that has a little bit of some kind of ministry for everybody else. The thing that I believe the enemy trembles in fear of is a unified church. A church that rallies together and says, despite what we look like, despite how old we are, despite what our preferences are, despite uh, are we vaccinated or not, despite any of those tertiary things, we could actually be united and be one in Christ. And Paul is speaking this into a church in Ephesus because that is one of the things that they were struggling with for sure. And what we're gonna come to find out is that the divide for them actually was much bigger and much more significant than even the divides we face today. And so Paul enters into that and he wades into that. And I think it's a key conversation to us because I look around at what our city McDonough is. Our, Henry County is a fa was the fastest growing county in the state of Georgia. All right, that's, that's now, which I don't know if that's something to be excited about or to be terrified of. I don't, I don't really know yet. I, like at the end of the day, like if we're in the people business, more people m means Yay, um, right? I don't know, traffic is rough, but more people to reach is a good thing if you're in the church, right? But if you look at our city, it's a little bit of everything, right? I mean, it's a melting pot of a city. And then if you kind of look across the aisle and you look around our church, that's what we have represented here as well. And again, it's not in, in perfect unity and, and it's not in just like perfect little box that everybody has the same equal amount of people that look like them. That's not who we are quite yet. But what I see happening is we as a church are beginning to look more and more like our city looks. And that is something to praise God about. And as we praise God for that, we got to realize that at the end of the day, I love you, but that's weird. What you are as a church is not normal. The, the hour of nine o'clock to 12.30 is still one of the most segregated racially times in our entire country. And something about you, something about what happens in the context of MCC and our children's ministry, student ministry and environments like this and community groups, something that God is doing and something that he is up to here is bucking the system. And I'm so proud of you, church. And while I rejoice and I'm, I'm proud that that our baptism waters have seen people of all different colors, all different tribes, all different backgrounds and backstories and, and all sorts of things. I know that if we're gonna continue to be a church that reaches our city, we're gonna have to embrace this more and more because our city is looking more and more unlike one thing. It's looking like a lot of things. So this is a conversation that's huge for us. And so I want you to lean in as Paul asked the church in Ephesus to lean into this conversation as well. So I'm gonna read you the passage and then we're gonna pray and then we're gonna talk about what in the world was going on there and how it can help us 
with what's going on right here. Let's pray. Jesus. We come to you today with all sorts of preconceived notions, all sorts of opinions, all sorts of things that we've gotten our identity from. Some of us in this room, uh, we grew up in racist homes. Some of us in this room, uh, we still have uh, moments where we make divisions amongst ourselves based off of the ways we think, the way we look. Jesus, I pray that you would make your church one, that you would unify your church That the, that the demons in hell would tremble at a unified church in this city. And so I pray you unify us together. I pray you unify us to other churches. I pray that you would do something that is only capable by the humbling of your people and the indwelling of your Holy Spirit for your sake so that people would look around and, and, and just be able to go, there's no way that that's possible without the Holy Spirit. That's what we're asking for. Um, and we know you can do that. We've seen you do that. We're asking you to do it again. In your name, amen. If you got a Bible, uh, we're gonna be Ephesians chapter two, verse 11 through 21. Yes, I said it. I'm gonna try to cover that amount of verses today. This will be my record. Cancel lunch plans. Just kidding. All right, let's read it. Ephesians 2.11. Paul's talking to the church. He just got through telling them how they're God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works to be prepared in advance. And right off the bat, as they're going, well, what does that work look like? He talks to them about reconciliation. He says, therefore, verse 11, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcised, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time, you who were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens of God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Rich, meaty, and full of God's truth. Let's dive in. First thing you gotta understand here is Paul is, the whole reason he is addressing this, the whole reason he's going to this conversation around Jew and Gentile and, and you were out here, you were lost, you were without hope, you were without God, you weren't in on these promises. The reason he dives into all that is because over and over again, 
in the New Testament letters of what Paul writes to these churches, because Paul, remember, is, is primarily the pastor, the evangelist to the Gentiles. And then you have guys like Peter and James, and they're primarily witnessing and, and leading and converting people who were Jewish. So you have these big two dividing groups of people, Jews and Gentiles. And for everybody in this room, unless you're like Jewish, Jewish-Jewish, you're in that Gentile category. It's basically everybody who's not a Jew. And this was the dividing line, full of hostility. And they hated each other. So much so, and this is not just recorded in scripture, this is recorded in antiquity in the writings from history as people, historians write about what was going on, the cultural differences of the day. So that the Jewish dad, the moment his daughter would say, I'm going to go marry this Gentile man. That very same day, the dad would begin to plan her funeral and they would have that funeral the next day because to marry a Gentile was to say, you're dead to me and to my family. If you went into the home of a Gentile and you're Jewish, you go into the home of a Gentile, you eat, you are now ceremonially unclean. You cannot come and connect to God until you have cleansed yourself of the impurity that you got on you as you went into their house. They looked at Gentiles and did what all uh, cultures do when they want to make it okay to hate and to be evil. They dehumanized them. They would call them you Gentile dogs. If you were a stay-at-home mom and you lived next door to another Gentile lady and you knew she was just pregnant like any day now, it was gonna happen. And it happened while well, her husband was out at work and nobody could help her deliver that baby. It was against your religion to go and help deliver that baby because to deliver that baby would to bring into the world yet another Gentile. And that's the culture to which Paul writes this message and says, you two groups in Christ are one. And then whichever side of the coin you're on, you're going, mm-mm. I don't, want, I, don't, I don't know about that, Paul. And that's what he wades into. Let's start where he starts. Ephesians 2.11. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by which is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Now, I know none of y'all rolled out of bed this morning. You're like, man, I hope Pastor Trent talks about circumcision today. Like, no, that's not one single person was in the Toyota Corolla coming over here today. And said, man, man, I just really need to know. I need, none of you new people. If you're here for your first time, you're like, man, I hope I get a sermon with some circumcision talk in it today. Like nobody wanted that. A lot of times, like we get to these things, like if you've read through the New Testament, especially if you read like Ephesians or, or Corinthians or book of Philippians, like you keep coming up to this. If you read anything that Paul talks about, you keep hitting this word circumcision. And if you read some Old Testament stuff, you hit this word circumcision. And most of us, like, it's awkward and we're just like, I'm just going to skip over that. And I don't want to pay any attention to that because that's weird. All right. So let's talk about it. Um, I want you to know what it means and, and why it's significant and, and what Paul is after here. Because listen, even the weird parts of God's word are there for a reason. For you to learn, to glean stuff from, to be able to learn who God is. So let's, let's, let's talk about it. Okay. So first of all, to understand what in the world Paul's after here, we've got to go all the way back to this guy named Abraham. All right, so God shows up to this guy, Abraham. Now, Abraham is old, like old, old. And his wife, she's old, old too. Um, they're both old. And they're part of this little tribe of people called Jews. And they've got the group of people. There's really nothing special or significant. They're not the best at war. They're not the best at art. They're just a people group. And God shows up to this guy named Abraham. And he says, Abraham, not because of anything special about you, because of how special I am as a God, the one true God, Yahweh, I'm gonna make a covenant with you. And you're gonna become the father of many nations. You're gonna have more kids 
They're going to be far outnumbered than the sand on the seashore and the stars on the sky. You're going to be the father of many nations. It's going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And Abraham was like, you see my wife? Um, and then God, he tells his wife about it, and she laughs. She's like, you're not going to have any kids. You're super old. They're barren at this point in time. And lo and behold, they have kids. And God issues this promise to Abraham. This is called the Abrahamic covenant. And he says, what I want you to do, the sign that I want you to put on yourself that is the sign of this covenant, this promise between us that you're gonna be the father of many nations and I'm gonna bless you is circumcision. Now, again, you're still going, why that? Why couldn't he just like, I don't know, got a tattoo of a heart on his chest or something like something, we could have done literally anything but that. Well, here's, again, uh, the best historians and theologians and scholars would say, here's, here's maybe why. So he promised him that he would be the father of many nations and in order to give an outward sign that he would be the father of many nations, the, the place where that sign would be placed would be on the thing that would lead to fathering. That that would be the outward representation that through this lineage, this is where this would come. And this is where people would be born. This is where this nation would be multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And it wouldn't just be something that Abraham did to himself. It would be something that all of the men on the eighth day, every baby born a Jewish boy would on the eighth day receive that circumcision, which is a lot easier than what Abraham had to go to as an elderly man. And so that's what's going on there. And anytime you read scripture, you've got to, every time that shows up, you got to understand that that was another one of the dividing lines between Jew and Gentile. And so if you're a Jewish guy, you're going, oh man, yeah, tell me about it. We're the circumcision, we're the, we're the ones, we got it all figured out, we're the ones. And, and as these Jewish men were converting to Christianity, what did they bring with them? Their circumcision, right, <laughs> bingo. And so their Jewish version of following Jesus in their mind, because Yahweh had been Yahweh to them all along. Now they began to believe in Yahweh's son, Jesus Christ. And they're thinking, this is the real thing. This is the real deal. This is who it is. And so as they're beginning to go out and, and try to help people understand what true Christianity is, they are allowing most of their Judaism to follow in with it. And so they're showing up to Gentile men and saying, all right, you want to be in on this Jesus thing? You want to be in on this Yahweh thing? You want to be in on this Christianity thing? Put your faith in him and then... Big fella, <laughs> get circumcised. And how about you? That's just like terrible evangelism. Like God's smart. He knows that most men, most 34-year-old guys like me, if you tell me I got to believe in Jesus and get circumcised, I'm going to say I'm going to find another God. I'll get a different one. Is there any loophole? Like is there literally anything I can do? which is why Paul gets so angry and frustrated about this. This is not just a, a sex head talk. This is why Paul is so violently angry at these people. He, he goes against them. He calls them these mutilators of the flesh. He's so angry, but not because of what they're trying to do to people to hurt them. Yeah, that's really bad. But what Paul is most angry about and the heart of the issue is either we are saved by faith or we have a works-based religion that's based on something outward I can do with my body whether that's giving or attending this or praying seven times a day or circumcising my member if I'm a male. Paul's saying none of those things are what make you a follower of Christ. It is all about whether or not your heart has been circumcised. He would mention that in, in Romans. Has your heart been circumcised? Has it been cut from the inside so that outwardly you actually live a life that is of God? 
and what even the Jewish Christians were doing in that day and age. Because again, you show up in Ephesus, you got both going on. You got Jewish Christians, you got Gentile Christians trying to follow the same God. And ones are saying, and again, this never happens in our churches today, that if we're really gonna worship God, we gotta do it this way, right? That never happens now, right? It was happening then, it still happens now. And Paul shows up and he goes, no, if you really wanna be a Christian, have faith in Christ. And he walks through who they were and how God's overcame that. So that's enough on circumcision. If you have any more questions on that, Pastor Beaver is gonna be here for the rest of the day. Feel free <laughs> to ask him all you want. All right, so from here, Paul begins to break down. Uh, we're gonna put it in three sections. Uh, first off, he talks about what our problem is. He talks about the Gentile problem. That's verses 11 through 12, he drives that home. Uh, the next section is verses 13 through 17. He talks about Jesus' solution, how the Savior comes in as a solution to all of the problem that he expounds in verse 11 and 12. And then verse 11, or 18 through 21, he says, this is who we are now. Okay, in Christ, this is who we are, and this is what our future looks like. So let's dive into that first part, the problem. He says, remember, he's talking to the Gentiles, he's talking to us pre-Christ. Remember that, at, that you were at the time separated from Christ, which again, that just means what it means. You, you had no chance. It wasn't that you had done bad things on your own. It meant that you couldn't. You were separated by Christ, not because you chose, but because it was what God had ordained. You're separated from Christ. And he says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, which means that that God who was Israel's God, the one you had heard about slaying giants, the one that you had heard about bringing fire down from heaven with Elijah, the one that you had heard about that parted the Red Sea and did all those things. You were alienated from that commonwealth, that people group, that was not your own. And you knew in your heart as a Gentile that that could not be yours. And he says, from there, you're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and you're strangers to the covenants of promise, which we, we kind of get most of this, but then the strangers to the covenant of promises where we kind of go, what are we talking about there? Okay, he says you're strangers of the covenant of promises. What Paul is referencing back to, and the Jewish people in the room may have got this, he's talking about the covenant promises that God had made with the Jewish people over their history. First one was with Noah. He said, made a covenant with him. Hey, I'm not gonna flood the earth again. Not gonna do that. The next one, the kind that's more significant in this conversation is the one I already talked to you about, the Abrahamic covenant, where he says, hey, you do this, circumcise your males, follow me. And his covenant promise is I'm gonna bless you. You're gonna be my people. More kids than sand on the shore, stars in the sky. That's the Abrahamic, Abraham's covenant. From there, you have the Mosaic or the Moses's covenant. This is where uh, he takes him up to Mount Sinai and he says, here is the law. And if you, as my people, this is the covenant, you keep my law, you keep my commandments and I will be your God and you will be my people and nothing will stand against you. Follow my law. And then from there, we have the Davidic covenant that comes through King David, where he says that you're going to be my people and I'm going to bring salvation onto the house of David. And I'm going to love you and never forsake you. And we see the fulfillment of the David Davidic covenant in Christ because all of the covenants pointed ultimately to him. And so when he says, you're missing out on these covenants, you're missing out on the promise, his way of saying, you missed out on the blessing, you missed out on the guide, you missed out on the love and the, and the salvation, and you, you were gonna miss out on Jesus. So he's saying, you, you would have missed out on all that. You were strangers to the covenant promises. And obviously, if you're um, separated, alienated strangers, uh, the d d reducible minimum here is you have no hope. No hope. And this is why I think they would have really grasped. And I, hopefully you can remember back to who you were before Jesus and you can remember this too. No hope. 
because your hope was in what other people thought about you. And if the world was giving you the approval or the applaud or the clap, or, or, or you looked around and you got enough likes or enough applause or enough promotion and people liked you. And so your hope was in what everybody else did to you. And you lived contingent, a contingent life on the if. And most of the people he's writing to, they lived a life contingent on the if of if the gods, polytheistic, if all of them were on their side. And so maybe you remember this from uh, Greek mythology class and all these other type of things. There's just a pantheon of gods. And if you can get this God on your side, well, then you're good to go. There in Ephesus, there is still one of the largest, it was the seven wonders of the world. It was the temple to the Greek God Artemis or Diana, depending on how you want to call her. And they would make these little silver figurines. And so it is very likely that in the house of people who were in the church at Ephesus, they had, you know, just gotten rid of some silver Artemis figurines that they would rub and and, and pray to the goddess that, that, that she would make their life be good. And so this is what they're putting their hope in, that they can appease and live a life worthy that one of these millions or billions of gods is on their side and in their favor and looks after them and protects their kids and brings them prosperity. And so their hope is in this God that they can't trust and they can't know for sure. And so that hope, that hope is no hope because it's a hope, lastly, that is without God. So there's five things here, if you're taking notes. He says, you're separated from Christ alienated from Israel, strangers to God's promises, and you're hopeless and you're without God. He says, this is your situation. This is your scenario. And then he comes in and he shows us what the Savior's solution to all this is, what Jesus has actually done. He says, but now, I love, again, these big buts that Paul loves bringing out here. But now, in Christ, again, that's key word. And if it's not in Christ, then it's still your reality. You're still alienated, you're still separated, you're still without hope and you're still without God, unless you are in Christ. But if you're in Christ, this is where good news becomes. This is where change happens. You who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I love this imagery that Paul is giving them here. It's as if he's saying that the blood of Christ has this magnetic effect to it. That through the blood of Christ uh, that's shed on the cross, that is drawing all men unto himself, which is a reminder of even what Jesus said while he was here in the gospel of John. He said, if the son of man be lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. He, he knew that this was going to be who he was, that as he's lifted up on the cross, as his blood is shed, it is a drawing and magnetic force that brings not just the good ones, not just the ones who are circumcised, not just the ones who believe the right things or think the right things about him, but all men. All men in the level playing field is there at the foot of the cross. He's brought all those who are far off. And I know at, at times in your life, you felt that. And I'm far off. Some of you, when you describe a, a family member, you're like, man, they're out there. And God gets that. He knows that. That's why we need to pray the blood of Christ over our family. That's why we need to pray the blood of Christ over our own selves. We wouldn't be tempted to wonder and to go back far off to that far country that we used to love that didn't love us. He says, by the blood of Christ, those who are far off have been brought near. Now this is significant because every Gentile in the room is going, well, I can kind of get somewhat close to God. I can like maybe look at him from across the room, but I can't get near to God. Not Yahweh, not the Jewish God. Like I can't get near to that. I can't even get near to Jewish people, let alone their God. He says, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Goes on. He says, for he himself is our peace. So our, he's talking about Jew and Gentile. So Jew and Gentile, both of their hopes at being at peace with God is Jesus. So it is as if Paul was saying, those covenant promises 
the circumcision, the keeping of the law, all of the Jewish people could have been knocking those out of the park. And if they didn't put their faith, hope and trust in Jesus, do you know what they still don't have? God, they still don't have peace. They still don't have hope. They still don't have salvation because that is what truly makes us at peace with God. Not our keeping of the law, not sacrificing the right animals the right way. What makes us at peace with God is by the blood of Christ. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one, one. And again, if you're, if put yourself in the Gentile room, there, your mind is exploding at this point going, I'm one with them. And again, they've got a lot of hurdles to overcome because there's the, the Gentile, the minority position. They're going, what if I don't want to be one with those guys because of all the mean things that they've done to me. And there's the Jewish side of the room going, well, we really have to have them as one. If you say so. See, when you've been hurt by people, when you've been mistreated by people, when you've been looked down on people as less than, to know that you're united to them, it seems like you're having to take second place again, right? Like, okay, now I'm still in a minority position because I'm just getting grafted in to their new thing. I'm just having to accommodate my culture, my lifestyle to become a part of their thing. And Paul's getting ready to blow that all up out of the water as well. He says, he has made us both one and he has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. I love this. So what he's saying here is that through the flesh of Christ, through what he did on the cross, the cross, he has now broken down in his flesh. So as his flesh is being broken down, as his body is being whipped and mutilated, as the crown of thorns put on his head, what his tearing apart of his flesh is doing, it is making the flesh of the body of Christ one. It is unifying them together. And he says, it is breaking down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility, that whole wall that we had put up between each other, not just metaphorically, but actually physically. So physically speaking, the Jews thought the place that God resided was the temple. And Jews, if they wanted to connect, even to, you know, to try out the Jews, God, or Gentiles, if they wanted to even try out the, the Jews' God, they would go to the temple, maybe go try to figure some stuff out. But as the temple was set up, there is these open courts. Obviously, you can enter into this place. But this whole kind of tan area here, this is the place where a Gentile was only allowed to go. If you're a Gentile, this, this court right here is your court. You can get as close as you want to to right here. And then all around this thing right here, there's a four foot wall dividing you as a Gentile from the place where God actually is in this holy of holies. So if you're a Gentile, man or woman, you can get into this place and kind of roam around here. If you're a woman, you can kind of get into this court if you're a Jewish woman, all right? And again, they, they still had things somewhat backwards, uh, very backwards. And so from here, if you're you know, very religious, you can get into place here. If you're a priest, you can get in here. And then the holy of holies, once a year, the, the priest, the high priest could get into that place. And so there's this whole um, consecutive shrinking of who's allowed to get in to get into this presence of God. And what Jesus does through his death and resurrection, is he says the dividing wall has now been broken. There is nothing that separates any who would come to Christ from being at the face of God. And there was actually, you know, this, this wall is there and there's, they've since found uh, actually pretty recently inscriptions uh, that were basically signs on the wall that said, if anyone passes this wall, their death is on their hands. Is their way of saying, not just no trespassing, but if you trespass, you're gonna die and it's gonna be your fault. And so he's telling that to people who saw those signs. I mean, it, it's, so if you're old enough to, to have remembered times when there was segregation, when, when you saw a water fountain that was for your color and a water fountain that was for somebody else's color, 
if you felt like at times you can't get in on this thing and this thing that we're in on is actually a really good thing and actually a God thing, Paul's going, I got a God for you. And he's not this one. He's not this one who is just dividing things out. And he takes it a step further as he begins to explain this. He said that this Jesus, as he's broken down this dividing wall of hostility, he has done this by abolishing the law of the commandments to which we're going like, man, I get really fired up and I want them to put the 10 commandments back in school. And I want to do all this stuff with the 10 commandments. Like I love the commandments and I love the law. And why, what do we mean that Jesus has abolished the law? And why would Paul say that here? Let me explain what this means. What he's saying is Jesus has not just said the law doesn't matter. Do what you want. What he's saying is nobody, Jew nor Gentile, could keep the law. Everybody stands fully guilty except Christ who came in and kept the law to the letter, to every T, to every dotted I, kept the law. And therefore he fulfilled it. So the law has been abolished and no longer is your relationship to God based off of your keeping the law or not keeping the law. Now your relationship to God is based off of, do I have faith in the one who fulfilled the law or do I not have faith in the one who fulfilled the law? That's where the playing field gets leveled. He says, he's abolished that. He's abolished the law and commandments, expressing the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. Now, again, to those people, and maybe you felt this as you've tried to wade through racial tensions that maybe you've even experienced in church. He doesn't say he has done all of this so that Gentiles can now get in on our Jewish thing because we're the ones who really have cornered the market on God. Because that's where I think most Gentiles would have been. Would have been I have expressed, I have been oppressed and hated on by these Jewish people. I don't want to be a part of their thing. Paul goes, good news, you don't have to. It's a new thing. It's my people. And that's who we are now. And it's not a Jew thing. It's not a Gentile thing. It's a Jesus thing. And this is what he lays at the feet of even a divided church in 2022. He says, it is a Jesus thing, not a black thing, not a white thing, not a Hispanic thing, not an Indian thing, not a rich thing, not a poor thing, not a Democrat thing, not a Republican thing, not a vaccinated or unvaccinated thing, not a mask or no mask thing. He said, this is a Jesus thing. And it far as I weighed any of those other things. He says, it's one new man. And what he means by new is not new in the fact that like, I think around 2000, Volkswagen came out with a new version of the Volkswagen Beetle. And so you could, you would see, have you seen the new Beetle yet? And you can kind of see, okay, there's a new Beetle. He's saying, no, it's like if, if, if you were used to drive the old one, new is not going to get the new one. This new is saying, I got a brand new car, like a totally different model. I went and got a Ford F-150 because I didn't want to drive around with my knees in my chest. I got a new truck. He's saying, you're something totally new. It's one new man in the place of the two. So making peace. And you, again, go back to the whole first chapter here. He made peace because he became the enemy of God. He made peace because he took the wrath of God. You can be at peace with God because he was treated as an enemy, both Jew and Gentile. That is what it cost to make peace. It wasn't just that he came in and said, y'all play nice, y'all get along. No, he made peace because he was peace. And this peace is different than like World War II being over peace. See, that piece is just, okay, we're in peacetime, which means we're just not fighting. And for many people, that's what we have thought of peace in the church between different races and nationalities and ages and everything else was about. We're just not gonna argue about it. We're, not just gonna, we're just not gonna argue about whether should we have drums. 
We're not going to argue about what songs we should sing. We're not going to argue if that's okay or that's not okay. We're not going. We're just not going to argue about Republican Democrat stuff or abortion thoughts. Or we're not. Gonna, we're just not going to argue about it. We're just not going to do any of that. We're just going to pretend like we're all at peace. When really on the inside, what are we at? War. Like we just. I'm angry at you, but I'm not going to tell you. What he's saying here is, I'm not creating a peace where you just stop fighting against each other. I am giving you a peace where you are each other. I'm giving you a peace where you fight not against each other anymore, but you are actively and proactively fighting for each other for the sake of the gospel. This is, this is gospel peace, not World War II peace where we're just like, well, I'm not gonna be angry at you. I'm not gonna shoot at you. It's a whole different thing. See, I'm not gonna fight against you anymore. I'm gonna fight for you. So making gospel peace. 16 that he might reconcile us both to God. Again, if you were a Jew and you did not, were not in Christ, you still need reconciliation. You were reconciled through faith in Christ. He might reconcile us both to God in one body. One body, that, that, that one body right there is talking about the church. In the church is where we see the reconciliation happen. And so all around our world, you got people talking about racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation. We, we talk about it so much. And what I'm here to deliver to you today, that if the word of God through the Paul in here at Ephesians is, is really accurate and right, then racial reconciliation has happened. It's, it's real. It's happened. Again, we talk about this oftentimes here at MCC, that this is Paul presenting to the church in Ephesus and to the church here in McDonough, a cross-shaped gospel that says, you will miss out on one half of the gospel. If you just say, well, thank God he died for me and now I'm connected with him. I'm reconciled back to him as God. No, he didn't just say you as one person or one people group are reconciled to God. He said he has made the two groups, he has made all people back one to be with the one true God, which is to say, I've been reconciled on a vertical plane to God, but on a horizontal plane, God has reconciled man to man and man to God. And to miss out on one half of that, the social justice warriors just want to get on this plane and go, we just got to love each other. And it's just like, I don't know why I sung that. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's been a long day. We just, we're, this is what we're consumed by. Justice, rights, mercy. We're, we're all on that level plane. We want to care for everybody. And we forget that, no, through the cross, we're reconciled to God. And so the way we do this looks different. It doesn't mean we just are okay with everything. It means that there's one true way to that God. And then there's another group of people just like, it's just about me and God. And I, I, I'm put you on my prayer list. And they're the people, they're, they're the pe- I'm just reconciled to me and God. And oftentimes these are the people with doomsday mentality. They see something happen on the news. They see a kid walking by them with their pants below their ankles. Oh, pff, Jesus, come back. That's just a sign right there. You know, it's just like everything. It's just, they're just okay. They're just okay with the world going to the hell in the handbasket because they're, they're, I'm reconciled to God, the end. And I lose all hope that I could ever learn something about God by someone whose skin color is darker than mine. I lose all hope and there's no purpose. There's no point. If I'm reconciled to God and my eternity is secure, why do I gotta learn some things about your culture and your race? But no, if, if we have a cross-shaped gospel and we've been reconciled to each other and to God, well, then that means that there are some things I could never learn about God if I don't learn it through somebody who's different than I am. And that's the purpose of the church because where else in the world are people gathering together with that sort of heart behind what they gather around? So he says, we've been, we've been reconciled. And what this does is this kills the hostility, which is the word we, I think we really need to hear here because this is, this is why this is so crucial for the time that we live in. See, 
scientifically, like bi- biologically, there is only one race. And it's, it's, it is the human race. There are multiple, there's a multiplicity of ethnicities though. There's all sorts of different skin colors, all sorts of different age things. There's all sorts of different things that defied us, all right? We are all one human race. If we couldn't, we couldn't reproduce with each other and all those other things. There's one human race that we're a part of. And Jesus says he's coming to make a new one of those even, which is wild. There's one human race. And then we have these different ethnicities and different things that we're a part of, different viewpoints. And we divide along those lines. But I would argue that none of those lines that we divide on are dividing lines that God said, I want you to divide on. We chose to do that. We chose to look at somebody with a darker pigmentation and said, you think this way, you are this way, and that's your thing. And we chose to separate each other out into those categories. That's a, a racism is a man-made construct. We are one race under God. Now, put that all in its basket. And now come over here to this Jew and Gentile thing. Did God make that or did a man make that? God made that. God said, you're my favorite nation, Israel. I love you. I choose you. You're mine. God is the one who set up the Jew-Gentile divide. It was a God-ordained line to show who his people were. Now, again, his whole plan and the whole thing was eventually work through redemption so that it could be with everybody involved and brought back in. But here's, what, here's the point that I'm trying to make. We've got to lean into this as a gospel-centered, reconciled, not uniform, but unified church. We've got to get this. If we have a God who can overcome a, a, a real like from God difference of Jew and Gentile, then what makes us think that he can't help us and work in us to overcome man-made differences that we set up between us? If he can redeem Jew and Gentile, he can redeem black and white. If he can redeem Jew and Gentile, he can redeem old and young. If he can redeem Jew and Gentile, he can redeem Democrat Republic. He can do that if he can cover this divide through Christ and make us truly one. And that's why I say racial reconciliation has happened because God reconciled the whole human race to him through his son, Jesus. Now it's gonna take us like figuring out what in the world that looks like. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna take hard work. It's gonna mean more than just saying, I I go to church with people who look different than me. It's gonna have to become, I do life with people who do life different than me, who look different than me, who think different than me. That's, That's where it comes. That's where the hostility that truly is dead, doesn't get resurrected in traffic. That's where the hostility that really is dead doesn't get resurrected at work. And it starts by seeing who we are in Christ, that we are made one. And neither side got to pick and choose what it could keep of its old self. He said, all of your old self is dead and your new self in me. And he became, and he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. And for through him, he says, you have access in one spirit to the father. If you don't have this verse highlighted in your Bible, please do. Anytime the whole Trinity shows up in a Bible verse, highlight it and remember it. Ephesians 2.18, this is what Jesus did. It's mind blowing. He says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit. So you have him and Jesus, you have the spirit giving us access to the father. This is the gospel in a verse. Through Christ, access to the father, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the gospel. And this is what he's laying out to these people. And their minds are blown because they just thought he was Yahweh a God. And now they're hearing, again, from the very beginning of this whole letter, we, no, wait, wait, he's predestined us for adoption? We're, yeah, I got a daddy now? Like he's a dad God? What? This is brand new. It's mind blowing to them. 
So here's his solution. This is all the things Jesus did. If you're taking notes, um, you notice that there were five things that were part of the problem. What's crazy here, and I don't know, you can read more into this if you want to. Jesus has 10 things that he did. It's almost like Paul's like, I'm gonna double down on the solution. So here's what Jesus did. He brought us near, he made us one, he became our peace. He broke down the barrier, he abolished the law, he made a new race, he reconciled us to God and each other. He killed the hostility, he preached peace, he gave us access to the Father through the Spirit. 10 things compared to the five things that were really going on. And he goes from here and he says, okay, this is who we are now, okay? Because of what the problem was, because of what Jesus did, his solution, this is who we are now, 19 through 22. So you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens. They would have understood these in, in like the way we would say that's a green card marriage or the way we would say they have a work visa. These were terms that were like legal standing in the city that they lived in. So when you said you're no longer strangers, a stranger was just kind of like someone who's vacationing, kind of passing through. So I, if I'm a stranger, I can't vote in a local election. I don't get a say on things. I'm just a stranger passing through. And so what Paul's saying here is he said, you're not a stranger anymore. And then he goes on from there. He says, you're not aliens either. And an alien would have been the person who actually resided in the town, was kind of a part of it, but really didn't have legal standing. Couldn't vote, couldn't have a say in those things. So he says, you're not a stranger passer through and you're not a green card marriage or someone here on a work visa. He says, you are fellow citizens with the saints. He's talking about anybody who's in Christ already and members of the household of God. And again, the Ephesians sitting in the house, reading the letter, their mind is blowing right now, especially when he says these next two verses. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus is a cornerstone. And then he says, 21, in whom the whole structure, again, he's talking about all this building stuff, this building stuff. And then look what he says, the back half of 21, being joined together, it grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, this is talking about their actual body. So track with me here. You're an Ephesian Gentile believer who just got to get out on being circumcised. <laughs> like this is great news. And then you're, you're here and you hear this. And maybe you, at some point or time, you had seen the temple in Jerusalem. You had gone there, you saw this beautiful structure, and you were able to get up right about to that belly high wall and kind of look in and go, man, I've heard some stories about that God. I wish I could get a little closer to him. I wish I could get in his presence. I wish I could, you know, I, I wish that I didn't have to keep this silver figurine in my pocket to maybe make life better. I, I wish I, I had a hope. I wish I had a future. I wish I, I wish there was not just a ton of gods. I just wish there was one. That'd make things easier. And you leave and then you're sitting in the living room and whoever the pastor of the church in Ephesus is rolls out the scroll and reads those words and says, in whom the whole structure is being joined together grows in a holy temple to the Lord. And you realize there that Christ has made a way for this God who you weren't allowed to be in his presence because of your race, because of your nationality, because of the nation you were from, you were not allowed to be in that God's presence. And now you read that his presence is literally inside of you. What? This is, the, this is, again, feel this for the people in the room and how mind-blowing this is to say that, well, well, you're telling me in Christ, this God who I didn't have access to, who I couldn't be in his presence, is living and active inside of me and wanting to grow? And this whole temple thing is kind of garbage now? And now it's about this temple that is this new family that we're a part of, this new household that we're doing, and this new thing that we're building that is called the local church in Ephesus? Their whole worldview is changing drastically in these moments, sitting in this living room. 
as they begin to understand the truth, the power, and the purpose of Christ who gave his one life so that his church could be made one. And so my question is, one, is he in you? Because none of this is possible if he's not in you. Like if he's not living in you, good luck at being one. Good luck at, rec- at living out the racial reconciliation that's actually happened. And two, if he is in you, are you really willing to overcome all those other man-made differences to allow the huge thing you have in common, Jesus, to far outweigh all the things you don't so that we as a church can be looked on from a very divided and sometimes divisive community say, no, 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 it is possible. That's, again, he said it grows. So the growth that he's talking about there 2,000 years ago, that same growth is happening in this room. Like you're, we're, we're, a, we're a part of this same story. This, this is not just like something that happened a long time ago and we're trying to figure out Christianity now. Like it's still going, it's still growing. And it's on us now, the same way it was on the church in Ephesus. And if they could overcome a Jew-Gentile divide, then we can overcome a vaccinated or not divide. We can overcome a black-white divide. We can overcome any divide, young, old, whatever. We can overcome those divides through the power purpose of Christ at work within us. And let's pray that that day happens among us sooner rather than later. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word and how you're working. As we get ready to sing a song that reminds us of the homecoming where people of all tribes, all tongues, all nations will stand together before you, praising your holy name. Remind us that as we sing this, it is a foretaste of what is to come in Christ. It is a beginning moment where the already not yet happens in this room, where we are able to see as people young and old, people black and white, people brown and everything in the middle, people who vote one way and people who don't one way are gathered together in one room singing a chorus to you, Jesus, the Son of God. And I pray that it sends an anchor deep down into our soul and gives us a hope that knows that we're reconciled to each other so there's nothing we can't overcome. And we're reconciled to you so there's nothing we can't overcome together, both us to each other and us to you. Let us sing as one, for we are one. In your name.